Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week we were potentially going to talk about Silence of the Lambs, but Morgan had to cancel her Silence of the Lambs screening because she won the ticket lottery to Oscar Isaac's Hamlet. So instead, we are going to have a rare theatre podcast. Um, Both of us love to go to the theatre, and this is a good week for it because Morgan has seen the wonderful Mr. Isaac in person, in the flesh, very close to her and her (laughs) friend. Um, And I have spent the weekend at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which I love and go to every year, and it's kind of a small... I mean, it's an enormous festival, but it's for kind of small theatre and like performance art and experimental work. So yeah, we're going to talk about theatre this week, um, starting with uh, Hamlet. Yes, so I am actually going to preface my long description of Oscar (laughs) Isaac and Hamlet. So we're actually actually doing this because we had planned to do Science of the Lambs, then I had to cancel that, although we are going to do an episode on that soon-ish. Because someone on Twitter was like, I hope that you'll discuss this experience on your podcast. And I was like, we could actually do this. Um, It's what the people want. But this is actually the second time I've seen Hamlet in around a month and a half, which is funny because I think I've only seen it two other times and it's my favorite play. And it is, I believe, the most performed play ever, like just in the history of I civilization. Mean, it, it feels like it must be. I think that may be the case that there is always a production of Hamlet somewhere in the world being put on. I think that might be true. I mean, there's probably always one in London. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> right. If it's not true, it's it may as well be true. But I saw like a, a bad local one uh, when I was a kid. And then I saw Jude Law do it in New York years ago, which was fine. As people who follow us on Twitter will know, based on our reaction to the young Pope, we're big fans of Jude Law. It's genuinely unbelievable <laughs> we've not done a young Pope cast yet. Because I know, that's someday. definitely the best show of 2016, 2017. Absolutely. Whichever year it came out. <laughs> yep. Um... But he was, he just wasn't good casting for that. Um, it was fine. But earlier this year, around a month and a half ago, I saw Andrew Scott in London doing Hamlet. And it was not a very good production. Not helped by the fact that my friends and I went right after we had turned in our dissertations and were in probably the worst seats in the entire theater. It was like a huge West End theater. And we were way up in the nosebleeds for like 20 bucks a pop, right? And I'm quite blind and need new glasses, which is relevant because I was kind of like, I know they're on stage, but like, I can kind of see, it was not a great situation, let's let me just say. But Andrew Scott is obviously known for being Moriarty and Sherlock, but is primarily a theater actor, and I hadn't seen him in anything on stage, so I was really excited for that. And he was absolutely fantastic. I adore he was very him kind of, in oh, every role. So much. She was in Pride, the film that I highly recommend if you haven't seen. He's He's so good. And he was very kind of like, quiet and thoughtful and occasionally he'd scream something but mostly he was just sort of like ruminative and he was very good at um conveying thought which is very important for Hamlet obviously and it was worth seeing for him like I really really enjoyed his performance he's a great actor but the rest of the production was highly dubious at best they were clearly trying to be like modern and interesting but tried way too hard which for Shakespeare is always like oh no and so they had all these like video elements which I was like oh don't do that so all of the stuff with Fortinbras was like pre-recorded and then all the stuff with the ghost was like 
them people looking at security cameras and then they had that recorded on a screen too and then for the dumb show they had them sit in the front row and then like had a camera on them that they were projecting while also that was going on on st- i mean it was just it was not a good situation and the this other makes actors- me think of a couple of years ago in london i went to see a production of measure for measure where they were like we definitely need to think of some ways to make this multimedia so there was like this extensive video sequence where they were just videoing what was happening on the stage in a different part of the stage and it opened with the characters buried under a giant mountain of inflatable sex dolls and I just remember my friend and I as soon as the curtain kind of lifted we both kind of looked at each other with this frozen expression like we can already tell this is going to be so bad <laughs> oh my god well and it was interesting because like I saw this um my mom and I were in Galway for a couple days on vacation and it was an arts festival going on and there was this modern opera thing called the second violin which I hated and will not discuss because it's off topic but one of the things that they did that was really interesting was they had a screen at the back that was very long and narrow and they did a lot of interesting things with it and they showed Instagrams and tweets and it was like the stuff the guy was looking at on his phone the main character and it actually worked really really well so of course you can do interesting things with this yeah I mean one of the shows I'm going to talk about later is literally you know they were like download our whatsapp group first you know right yeah (laughs) But this was like, they were trying so hard to do something new. And I get the impulse because, as I just said, Hamlet is the most performed show ever. But it was just, it was so dire. And the other actors were not good. The guy who played Claudius, I literally couldn't process what he was saying because he was so monotonous that I was like, I don't know what these words are that are coming out of your mouth. So, long story short, it was not an ideal theater experience, despite (laughs) Andrew Scott being excellent. So then I went to this one, and I had been dying to see it but I didn't know where I was going to be this summer and the tickets were really expensive and it's at the public theater in New York which is a um, publicly funded theater but the sort of big things they do there which have in the past included Hamilton which I also saw there tend to be really expensive and then that kind of funds more of the like public art stuff that they'll do in the rest of the city so I didn't buy tickets and then of course now I am here and I was so mad that I hadn't done it and they'll have a ticket lottery every day. And I sort of was like, well, I may as well enter it. And I won on the first time I entered. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's fine. You're destined to see Oscar Isaac. Well, I have loved him since 2013 when I saw Inside Lewin Davis. So I think the universe just, it was rewarding me for my loyalty from years back. But so my friend and I went and uh, we were in the front row Kind of, and it was like a little bit of an obstructed seating situation, which I guess is why they put the lottery winners there. Because it was sort of, not quite in the round, but like um, sort of three sides. And some of the stuff that was happening right in this, like, back, we couldn't see. But I was next to the door where people were coming in and out. So everyone was walking right by me. Like, I had to move my foot to, like make sure they didn't like hit me as they came in and out and it was it was very intimate I was like oh okay and because we were in the front row the lights like the lights were on the whole time on us not that anyone was looking at us but it felt like we were really participating in the whole thing because the lights were on the whole time and everything was happening within like 10 feet conservatively yeah it's not a stage right it's like it's like the chairs are just around yeah Yeah, just the grind yeah, it's probably 250 to 300 people max. There was a lot happening. 
Um, and as it's funny, I can't think of another time so many people like we know on Twitter have been going to see something in New York. Obviously, Hamilton was the biggest, you know, theater phenomenon of our adult lives, but it was so impossible to get tickets to that that I, re- I mean, I saw it, but I remember all the kind of like culture journalists or whatever, everyone was slowly getting in to see it. But I don't know about actual friends and acquaintances of ours. Like people certainly have, but I was surprised in the last month how many of like our mutual friends everyone had gone to see this. Oscar Isaac. Right. It's like they, that, like everyone was like, I am shelling out a hundred bucks <laughs> to see this play. Right. And so I had, we kind of heard things, or at least I had, that were like, they were like, yeah, like he throws pasta around and he's not wearing pants for a lot of it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is so bizarre. And uh, it is true that um, for a, a long period of time, he is not wearing any pants in this play. And he was very close to us for much of that time. And we were both like, okay, that there's a lot happening here. He, there's like a bunch of the, I think it's the second act. And then they come back for the, there's an intermission and they come back for the third act. And then there's some line about how he's like, he said something like, oh, I must be at leisure or something to sort of fool them into thinking that he's not really paying attention. And then he just whips his pants off again. And we were all like, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, it was just, it was so the opposite of the West End thing where you're like way up in the nosebleeds, like trying to see what's going on. Like, was all of these people within like 10 to 15 feet at one point the woman playing Gertrude just like sat down next to me crying for like 15 minutes while all their stuff was happening and I was like oh hello like hi I guess you're there now but it was interesting because I completely understand why everyone was just had the reaction of like ah he has no pants for like half of this play because I too was like what is going on um, and I just saw a uh, cat on a hot tin roof in London with Sienna Miller and Jack O'Connell, which was a pretty good production and had the reaction that everyone was having, which was that Jack O'Connell was very naked for like several long minutes, at the beginning of that. And I mean, fully naked, not like this where he does have his underwear on, which is not a like helpful reaction to that production because they're doing interesting things. But all that you can think is like, wow, he's really naked. <laughs> like, whereas with this, like, I get being like, oh my God, there's this long section where he has no pants and they have to know that that's a reaction that people are going to have. But the rest of the play was actually doing a lot of really, really interesting things in a way that impressed me a lot, given that Hamlet has been done a bajillion times. The guy who directed it, Sam Gold, also directed um, Fun Home, which was similarly in the round. Um, and was great. And he did this year, A Doll's House Part 2, which was nominated for a bunch of Tonys, which I haven't seen. But anyway, he's a really good director. And they, I felt like it was a pretty happy medium between having like nothing on the set at all and using a few props sparingly. So they actually brought out just a bunch of fucking dirt and flowers at the end. (laughs) For like the stuff with Ophelia and the grave diggers, they got muddy and dirty and there was just dirt all over the stage. And I was like, well, go for it. That's 
interesting. Like, but it was really uh, effective. And then like the way they reused actors, I thought was really smart. So like oftentimes, obviously the person playing the ghost of Hamlet will have be the main person and the players. And they actually didn't do that. But the guy playing the ghost of Hamlet and also played Claudius and then Polonius and Ophelia also played the gravedigger and his assistant, which was really fun. And they cut all the Fortinbras stuff, which is boring. But um, it was just really, really smart and really funny. The main thing was that it was so hilarious, which most Hamlets are not. And um, Oscar Isaac and Keegan-Michael Key were both <laughs> absolutely hilarious. And they clearly had cast Keegan-Michael Key, obviously, with that in mind. Like, you don't cast him unless you want, like, comic you know, relief, but he was in the dumb show and was just full on being a, a comic element. Oh, just to clarify for listeners what the dumb show is. Yeah, excuse me. Um, I'm just, this is my like English major talk. So in <laughs> Hamlet, there's a point where Hamlet's uncle has murdered his father and then he sets up this thing where the group of actors come and he has them perform a, a dumb show. So like just mimed showing that happening to get a rise out of his uncle to, to confirm that this did actually happen. And so Keegan-Michael Key plays basically Hamlet's dad in the dumb show. Um, and it was like, he literally just like, once he gets poisoned, right, in this just was doing preposterous, ridiculous things like on a table <laughs> in the middle of this. And it went on for like minutes and minutes and minutes of him just sort of like screaming on this table, like writhing around. I mean, it, we were, everyone was laughing so, so, so hard. And I thought it was nice because it was sort of like, well, this doesn't actually have to be just everyone being miserable all the time, even though obviously everyone does die at the end. And, uh, Oscar Isaac did the, all the sort of serious soliloquies, but also like ran around kind of screaming from time to time without pants. Um, and this will be of interest to you, given your, you know, extracurricular activities. He's very, very short, <laughs> which we knew, but oh my God. And I know this is what the listeners are really craving. This is the information. He was so fucking short. I was, it was I like distracting this. to me. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it because he was just a tiny, tiny man. Like, I literally was at the point where I was well, sort of looking at his feet and tall. was like, she was generally, like, pretty short actors. And then Key... This is the kind Key. of material I like to hear about the, the Hamlet right. review. It was short. I've now <laughs> given my, like, thoughtful comments, and now we'll move into the truly important material, which is actor height. Um, <laughs> Michael Key is very tall. And... Um, there were maybe, there was maybe one other actor who was tall. And then basically everyone else was short. And they managed to find a guy to play Laertes who was even shorter than Oscar Isaac, who was like actually genuinely just like maybe shorter than I am. And I'm very short. But Oscar Isaac, it was legitimately like, I was kind of like looking at his feet and was like, I don't think his feet are that much bigger than my feet are. Like that was the quality of thought that was running through my head as I was watching this. Because I'm really short, but I have pretty large feet for someone of my size. And it, like, it was just tiny. It was absolutely hilarious. Especially, I think, because he was walking around and he'd have like a sweater on, right? And then... 
no pants. <laughs> so it just was completely like just ratio of his body was even more exaggeratedly like off. And he has tiny little chicken legs. And so it was just like, oh my God, this is too funny. He's and a he's got job. a sort of like beautiful movie star face, as we all know. And it's begun to sort of age in a pleasingly craggy way. And then from the waist down, he just has like normal person legs. Like he just, they look, it, you just wouldn't know. It was really, really funny. Um, but yeah, he's just miniature. He's a miniature man. And that's the beauty of cinema is that you don't have to see these things. You can just sort of, I remember reading something. I mean, when you're a pilot, it's good to be short. And he is professionally an X-Wing pilot. So he was right, probably exactly. selected by the Rebel Alliance for his, his dimensions. Exactly. That's absolutely correct. I'm sure. Um, I remember reading something of 2014, I think the film Almost Violent Year came out um, with Jessica Chastain, which is really, really good. It got kind of ignored at the time, but I would definitely recommend it. Um, it kind of takes place in the, I think it's the 80s, but it's got a very 70s vibe. Yeah, I really want to see that movie. It's so good. And he plays a kind of oil guy in New York, and it is very, he's basically playing an Al Pacino type, and he gets caught up in all this corruption. And he plays a very scary guy. And I remember that sort of saying that they designed this, it's a sort of like um, camel hair coat that he wears. And they were like, yeah, and he manages to actually look tall in it, which is great. <laughs> or like, not that he exactly looks tall, but it somehow manages to make him look like a whole fucking lot taller than he actually is. And I kept thinking of this looking at him because I was like, wow, you do not look like you could physically threaten a single person in the world as you currently are like just not at all it was really just wonderful i was highly amused thank you public theater for helping you gestate these important philosophical thoughts about I shakespeare know, right? like, <laughs> it's, where where else would we be without this information um, and it is well, it is funny too, right? Because he he is so good. Like he's such an incredible actor, and he was absolutely incredible doing this. And Hamlet is a role that so many actors do that it's kind of just obviously not everyone does it, but it is a rite of passage in a certain way. And you, there are different ways to do it. It's not like everyone's being graded against the same thing, but it is interesting to see a lot of people do it and be like, oh you're clearly better at this than someone else. And obviously, as I said, like Jude Law just wasn't suited to it and that's fine. But you get why he's a movie star watching, I think. Like he just, the ability to sort of convey thoughts and then also the humor and the charisma, like he was just fantastic. And he has a gorgeous face. Like, you know, he is gifted in many ways, but he does not fit the sort of... um typical standards of male beauty in certain other ways like he's really really short and yet he could kind of get away with it because they can fake it on screen which i'm obviously not in any way and also like, literally no one cares that oscar isaac's short like that's no well one. right but <laughs> it's the kind of thing where like there is in hollywood or in like the popular imagination a kind of like ideal man and he's much taller 
I'm not saying this is like a personal like expression, but like that is a fact. And it's just interesting to compare that to what women have to deal with. Like, I don't, I try to think if there's like an equivalent thing that they can like fake, right? Because men can totally fake the height thing and do all the time because you can just pretend on camera, put them on a box or whatever, right? Like wear the platforms and the shoes and be like, I mean, I guess the equivalent is maybe that basically every movie star is just wearing a wig. (laughs) <laughs> yes. like it's like yeah. the, the volume of women who are just wearing a wig in most of their performances yes but it was just it was really funny i was really um grateful to have seen it it felt like a complete freak occurrence because i never went anything like that and then literally within like an hour of putting it in was getting this phone call i was like uh yes i will take this yeah and it definitely isn't going to transfer to broadway because it was the way it was set up they could not possibly do that and i think he probably would not want to be not wearing any pants in front of like uh, many many hundreds and also he kind of has other stuff to do oh yeah which is the key issue with a with a very famous person doing a theater run I mean, I assumed that it wouldn't for that reason anyway, but then having seen it, like, there's no way that they could do that in a big theater. It just wouldn't wouldn't work. Um, I, I always wonder when a movie star does something like Hamlet, or literally just Hamlet, whether they've watched Slings and Arrows. Because Slings and Arrows <laughs> does have this cult following, and definitely, like, among actor and theatre people. It's a Canadian comedy drama that's about a small Canadian Shakespeare company um, where every single character is they're very kind of well observed like kind of satires of a very specific type of theatre person and it's absolutely hysterically funny all the actors are amazing Um, if you're a Do South fan it stars Paul Gross from Do South he's the main guy but the first of the three seasons each season is a different Shakespeare play and it kind of goes through the ages of man and the first one is Hamlet and it's kind of a send-off of when Keanu Reeves did Hamlet so they have this generically attractive dude bro well-meaning guy who just doesn't know theatre at all who's been cast as Hamlet in this town that is essentially a tourist town set up around Shakespeare productions and so everyone comes there for their Shakespeare festival and he's and there's just this wonderful scene where he's kind of just starting to do his research and rehearsal for the role and he's going into local shops looking for audio tapes to learn his accent and he's kind of like I really need to learn an English accent for this and then someone's like Hamlet's Danish and he's trying to figure out if he should do like a Danish (laughs) accent for it and it just it just makes me think of like it is like even though I'm not sort of like oh Hollywood actors are so brave it's sort of nerve-wracking and challenging for when a movie star does these roles and so often yeah. it's a disaster and I often think you know they should all just watch Slings and Arrows but I'm sure a lot of them have and I would well, love to just hear some opinions you should, on actors you should do a long it. form piece on this <laughs> I have never seen it which is horrible because everyone in my life has been telling me to for years and years and years um but I bet he has because he went to Juilliard yeah and I would be shocked if they probably isn't... have sleepovers a thing at Juilliard <laughs> for all of them to watch that. Yeah. That which I imagine is humorous. I mean, imagine being a fly on the wall of a like Juilliard sleepover with like one. So it's like it's like Mozart in the Jungle, right? Which is it's an Amazon series which I would definitely recommend, which is about a New York orchestra. And it's very clear that classical musicians are 
one of the main audiences. Like, obviously, it's yeah. watched by people who just want to watch, like, a funny show. But the whole thing is riddled with cameos from famous classical musicians. But no one, like, famous classical right. musicians aren't, like, normal famous. So it'll be like, right. oh, here's, like, a guy playing pinball in, like, a bar. And they have a weird conversation with them. And then you'll be like, oh, right, it's this really famous Chinese pianist. But, like, people don't recognize a famous right. Chinese pianist. So it's like, they're clearly all watching this show and being like, it's hysterical and really realistic. And then getting cameos. So it's kind of the same. If you watch Mozart in the Jungle, which is now much more famous, the equivalent is Slings and Arrows. Although yes. Slings and Arrows is probably better because it's like one of the best shows I've ever seen. I think it definitely has a major cult thing. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Also, I mean, it, it definitely I mean, like has. I've literally had people telling me to watch that for 10 years. Yeah. And I still haven't. So maybe one day I will and we will record a podcast about it, but it hasn't happened yet. So anyway... Now tell me about the weird things you have <laughs> yes, seen. Yes, I am coming from the opposite end of the theatre scale. Uh, Morgan has seen the most famous play in the world starring a famous man, and I have been at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which probably some of our listeners will know and some won't. It's a very, very large uh, theatre and comedy festival that happens during August in Edinburgh every year. And it's best known for stand-up comedy. They have, you know... I would say probably one or two thousand stand-up comics come to the city and do shows and then the rest is kind of split between traditional theatre, experimental theatre, kind of performance art, there's some art galleries, there's loads of musicians, there's tons and tons of kind of cabaret, burlesque kind of stuff. Uh, basically every performance type art form you can shake a stick at and every spare room in the entire city is either filled with people sleeping on floors or has been turned into like an esoteric venue for someone's performance piece. I am a long-time visitor of the fringe. I'm a highly annoying fringe person because I have like a very specific method of going through the phone book sized uh, <laughs> sized uh, brochure and finding which shows I want to see. This year though I was too busy so I basically have gone so far for like one day where I saw five shows yesterday and Friday night. Uh, this weekend and uh, had a pretty good average actually because usually you know in the past I've worked as a theatre critic at the Fringe and when you're seeing kind of two or three shows a day for three weeks uh, you see a lot of really fucking bad stuff in a kind of interesting <laughs> way you know it's like I don't review stand-up comedy because bad comedy is bad comedy right and also I the vast majority of stand-up is you know, it's like a schlubby white guy making jokes and there's a very high likelihood that I'm either not going to find that funny or I'm going to be actively offended. So so I'm like more of a theatre person. But when you go see bad experimental theatre, you're still getting an interesting experience, even if the experience is like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> so yeah, this time around, I saw five shows. I saw a Korean comedy version of Medea, uh, which was interesting because I've never seen the original type of Medea. <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've now, thanks to my kind of time at the Fringe, I've now seen a lot of uh, strange twists on classics. But because I'm not a well brought up Victorian girl who spent a lot of time reading plays, I have not seen most of the quote unquote classics apart from Shakespeare. So yeah, Korean comedy Medea. And I saw um, it was kind of like a multimedia show that it was about ISIS recruitment that was really good. Um, a Dutch slapstick clown music show which was excellent uh, for some reason the Netherlands produce a lot of really amazing clowns I always try to see one or two clown productions every year and just always really satisfied with what I get but I make, <laughs> sure, I make sure to pick like the top tier of the clowns though because you don't want it you don't want like a lower clown no uh, no <laughs> yeah 
And yeah, what else? Yeah, I saw this performance piece that was really positively reviewed. It's called Mouthpiece and it's a Canadian, I guess, like performance art, but it's not particularly edgy. It's they're, it's two women who are performing the role of this woman who's just lost her mother. And it's kind of like her internal monologue from two perspectives. And it's kind of mm-hmm. singing and physical theatre and also kind of conversations between herself. Um, but they were doing that sort of off-Broadway voice projection thing. So it was really showy. Yeah, no. <laughs> Morgan's like shaking her head at me. No. <laughs> yes, I was like, this is like, and also it was weird, right? Because I read a couple of reviews and also the audience were clearly loving it. And the reviews were like, yeah, this is really kind of interesting, well-observed thing about kind of the contemporary women's experience and all the second, the second guessing you have and like the internal doubts. But to me, I was like, this is like something that was written in 1970 or something because um, she was kind of contrasting her mother as this really traditional feminine woman um with herself and she was sort of like oh the things i've the the way i've like created my own identity is sort of in rebellion against my mother it's like oh i you know i like to swear and smoke and drink and i'm like a writer who lives alone and my mom's really obsessed with rom-coms and kind of stuff of that ilk um and it wasn't like it was bad like it was really well performed and stuff i was like i just do not understand what kind of message or examination i was supposed to be getting out of this because it's just like honestly like they had a lot of audio that was meant to sound like answer machines and i was genuinely like is this a vagina monologue situation where it's something from decades (laughs) ago but they were millennials and they conceived it themselves so it was sort of like watching something from like two generations of feminism ago and then i was just like is there just some kind of like heterosexual woman experience that i just like i'm so distant from that i never (laughs) like come across (laughs) but um yes that was like it was interesting to see how much other people in the audience were responding to it, but I was just like, this is really basic, and it made me feel yeah. like an art snob. Because <laughs> um, I was just like, God. <laughs> um, but yeah, and the other the other show I saw was a stand-up show. But if you were in Edinburgh, I'm just going to kind of tell you a bit more about these things, because there's a reasonable chance we have some listeners in Edinburgh, and you can catch these shows. Um, the Medea thing was called Medea on Media and kind of the idea was that each scene of this truncated adaptation of Medea was performed in the style of a different TV or movie trope. So it was all in Korean with subtitles. Um, So there were a couple of scenes which didn't fully translate to kind of European viewers because there was one that was clearly parodying a type of Korean cinema that I wasn't familiar with but the rest were really familiar so there was one that was sort of like an action movie matrix scene and one that was like Jerry Springer and the kind of the acting style was also very Korean which was interesting if you've ever seen like Korean TV and it was just it was just really entertaining and well performed there was a lot of sort of dancing and costume changes and stuff and it was like you know a classic friend show of something that you're definitely never going to see anywhere else yes and the uh, kind of ISIS recruitment show I went to uh, because there's a venue called Summer Hall which tends to have uh, slightly more offbeat shows and sometimes quite political things and I was like I'm only here for a day so I'm just going to go to this venue and figure out what's good and I was right (laughs) because this um, it's by an English guy named Javad Alipur and he kind of created it's like a multimedia stage show where basically he's the only performer but there's another guy on stage doing computer stuff um and it's a little bit ted talky because he's speaking directly to the audience um you also join a whatsapp group um 
and you get messages on the WhatsApp group while you're watching. Um, and to me, it was a little bit preaching to the choir because I'm so embedded in internet culture that I'm very familiar with things like 4chan and kind of alt-right recruitment and Gamergate and that sort of thing. Um, but I feel like it was really informative and useful and also performed in a very accessible way. And I could see that like most people in the audience were not familiar with what he was talking about. And it was like, he's really figured out what how he can communicate this information to just a mainstream audience because it was kind of going through these you know alienated young british asian men um and how they were being recruited to like islamic extremist organizations and also he was looking into a white american teenage boy who was getting recruited through 4chan Uh, well not recruited but like he was a 4chan guy and he was getting interested in the alt-right and trump and it was sort of drawing together the psychologies of those two viewpoints and comparing them which is if you're someone who follows this stuff online, it's kind of an obvious connection to make, but I feel like it's not something that most people are familiar with. Um, and it does take some explaining, but once, like this was such an efficient method of explaining it, cause like he was really charming and personable and entertaining. And he, while he was doing the show, he was sort of also explaining his process of looking into this. But at the same time, it was kind of a theatrical show rather than it being a lecture. Cause he was looking mm-hmm. at it through the viewpoints of these different characters. I was like, this is really good. So. At Fringe, it's called The Believers Are But Brothers and it, at Summer Hall, and it's by Javid Alpur. Yeah, okay, no, there were two other shows. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kind of like running through them. Yeah, um, the Dutch clown show was called Verald Band, and it was like a slapstick. I mean, I expect probably a lot of people are familiar with the kind of subgenre of like twee, lots of like black and white stripy outfits and suits, kind of black and white movie slapstick comedy clown stuff so it was like one of those shows but just really well executed and they all played about five different musical instruments you know there was a sequence where they did a cover of uptown funk in dutch um it was very funny and uh yeah really good slapstick show and i also saw it was either dutch or belgian i wasn't really clear because it was a woman who'd won a belgian theater prize but i think she was dutch um, but basically her one woman show was about she won this theatre prize and then spent the money on a plastic ice rink and then performed her next show on the plastic ice rink on skates while explaining why she'd bought the ice rink, uh, which is a pretty <laughs> like it's it's hard to do. Right. Because it's definitely not something they could list under stand up or under a spoken word show because it is a theatrical performance. And it had kind of the structure of a lot of stand-up shows and it was a, um, like a shaggy dog story because it was sort of initially meant to be her explaining why she'd got an ice rink, but it took an hour and a quarter and it, you were kind of looping around through all these tangents. But it was really it was really charming. It wasn't like the best thing I saw, but it was like a really interesting kind of thoughtful and unique show. And I feel like to a certain extent, a lot of fringe productions um, are reliant on having some kind of gimmick and this had a gimmick but it wasn't an in-your-face really over-the-top thing because there were some parts of it that were really emotional that you absolutely did need to have a plastic ice rink in the room for <laughs> so yeah. well done um yeah and the final show I saw was actually by my friend um but it was actually one of the favorite ones I saw he's a Welsh stand-up comic named Stefan Allen and he goes to the fringe every year and does free fringe shows which are kind of the fringe of the fringe. I mean, it says it's free, but it's more like pay what you want, like a non-fixed ticket price. And yeah, it's just, yeah, he's very, very funny. Like I was in Stitches, like basically throughout the whole act. And it's kind of a rom-com story where he's kind of talking about um, his crushes on a couple of women like earlier in his life, which is like a topic which I would be very dicey about 
if it wasn't someone I knew, <laughs> which is like <laughs> means that I kind of have like a weird reaction to it because like there were parts in it where I was watching it and I was like, this is somewhere where if I was watching a show by a stranger, I would be concerned that it's about to get sexist. But I know for a fact that during this man's entire creative process, he's like obsessed with making sure that nothing he does is sexist because so many other stand-ups are sexist. So it's like, it's like kind of removed like the stress experience that I have when I watch a lot of other stand-up. But um, yeah, he's very funny. And I find it interesting to hear his kind of views on stand-up in general, because I feel like it's a, a very accessible art form that we have we see a lot of on TV, you know, in the UK, basically every quiz show is stocked by stand-up comics, even if we don't necessarily like watch stand-up ourselves. So we're very familiar with them, but it's not something that one really considers the artistic process. And because I know this guy in real life, I've heard a lot of really interesting stuff about how people, you know, hone their shows and stuff. And I think he's done a really good job structurally. So well done, Steph. Um, And (laughs) even though... Everyone's just going to be like, stop it, you're friends with this guy. Very good show. So you should go see him <laughs> as well. So yeah, the recommendations are the ISIS show, my friend Steph's show, and probably Medea. You put up helpful links yeah. on the post <laughs> to guide people to these things if they are around. Yeah, I think that's about it. I mean, I've seen other things, but you don't need to <laughs> yeah. discuss them. Yeah, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird podcast because most people are definitely not going to be seeing any of the theatre we've just talked about. So this one is slightly self-indulgent, but I feel like the interest level for Oscar Isaac... Is high, yeah. If you can get to a National Theatre Live show of Angels in America, which I'm sure they're doing encores of at some point... Yeah, I really really want to see Angels in America. Definitely go, because it was incredible. But we don't need to discuss the details. And I think the ferryman in London isn't sold out. I think that's on for a while. So if you won't have disp- you know, cash to spend and live in London, that's incredible. But um, those are my only other recommendations. Yeah. So thank you for listening to our self-indulgent podcast about theater. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of Oscar Isaac's height. And next week we will be doing Silence of the Lambs, which was uh, derailed this week by my thrilling experience so give that a watch if you have not seen it or have not seen it in a while thank you as always again for listening and if you enjoyed this episode we would greatly appreciate a rating or review on itunes that's how we find new listeners otherwise you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com on twitter at overinvestedpod or on tumblr at overinvestedpodcast thanks bye